Welcome to Pick a Little, Talk a Little. We are a podcast. You know what a podcast is. It's about musical theater. You know what musical theater is, I hope. If not, you are still welcome. Welcome to your first ever podcast, whoever you are. Every episode, we take a different musical and we talk about it and how it makes us feel. I, as always, am your host, Gabriella Gazelowitz. Who are you today? I'm Michael Spitzer Rubenstein. I'm your husband. That's a spoiler alert. (laughs) Way to not bury the lead there. This is my husband. Here's what's going on, guys. Friends, fam, chevre, I'm going to level with you. Every episode, I have a different uh, co-host who loves the musical that I'm talking about or has some involvement. Uh, No one likes this musical except for me. It's not that people hate it. Just I'm being a hipster. We have never before covered a musical that doesn't have a Wikipedia page. The musical of today is February House. We will talk about it. So I figured what better way than to have a conversation about this musical than have an insight into my marriage about of which I'd say like eh, 20 to 30 percent of our marriage is just me sitting and explaining musicals to Michael while he listens with about 40 to 60 percent of his attention, depending. Give or take. Yeah. So Michael already knows a little bit about February House because he's married to me. Um, I mean, in addition to this being one of my favorite musicals, I wrote an art, a big feature article once about this and the history behind it because I love it. Basically, don't touch that dial. I need everyone to fall in love with this musical so that I don't have to be so very, very alone. The musical is from 2012. It had an out-of-town tryout at the Long Wharf Theater and then played at the Public Theater, so very, very legit off-Broadway, as legit as it gets. The music and lyrics are by Gabriel Kahane. It's possible that some of you have heard of him because he's a really fascinating indie musician. The book is by Seth Bockley. I saw this show when it was at the Public Theater. I actually won a ticket because I did a theatery thing at my college, and then I won tickets for it, which was great. Michael, what's your history with the show? I've listened to you talk about it a lot. Great. Welcome to February House. So February House is a fairly rare example of a musical that's just based on a true story. And it's this fascinating little chapter from history that a lot of people don't know about. Basically, there was a house in Brooklyn that no longer stands, that during the 1940s, a lot of famous people and fancy artists lived in it together as roommates. The most famous of which would be W.H. Auden, the poet. And her name has a slur, I'm going to say, but I will keep saying it throughout the episode because that's her name, Gypsy Rose Lee. This musical is most famous for being the second most famous musical that has Gypsy Rose Lee in it. Michael, feel free to, like, ask questions and be like, really? And you don't say. Really? Exactly. Mm. You're on a roll. So the thing about this show is it's kind of like Rent in a certain respect, but um, but mm, you don't like Rent. No, I don't really. And I still married you. So uh, every person in this musical is at least reasonably well known to someone. I don't think anyone will have heard of all of them. So the musical is inspired by a book written by the author Cheryl Tippins about this, and they were like, let's make it into a musical. 
Um, and it's the reason it's like Rent is it sort of has a similar structure that it's about this group of friends that become like a family and about what they go through and then sort of how things sort of naturally fall apart and change. But it's too early for any of them to die of AIDS. No, no, no one dies, but it is a very queer musical. The main person in this musical arguably is George Davis, who was a famous editor and writer of the era. Never heard of him. He was, he was well-known at the time, and he decides to essentially flip a boarding house at 7 Middoff Street. This address no longer exists because it was demolished like 60 years ago or more to build the BQE. Thanks, Robert Moses. Yeah, Robert Moses killing everything you love. New York. Um, the musical t- starts by taking place in 1940, in the summer. So... The opening song that we're going to be meeting people with is Light Upon the Hill. And George Davis shows up and he just starts singing. The score of this musical is so good. Like it got kind of mixed reviews, but like every single review liked the score. There's nothing like it in musicals. It's beautiful. It's very folk at times because it sort of plays off the different characters and their modes. It can even be like a chamber opera but you get so invested in the characters and the songs that they are singing that you are like here for it. So George Davis is flamboyantly gay. This is part of the way he presents himself and and is defined as a character. He really loves people and furniture, but sometimes he forgets which is which. So that sort of a recurring theme with him is that he's really into... uh, spending all his money on buying antique furniture and putting it exactly in the apartment the way he wants. So he shows up and the music is playing sort of soft and sad and it's immediately poignant. And he's also sort of singing in the past tense. He's singing like, here's to the driver who took me downtown when I got to New York. Is the opening lyrics of the show. So already we're sort of seeing him at the end looking back on this. So we can already sort of feel how this is going and the main motif in the song is in Brooklyn there is light upon the hill it glows despite the storm and the language is totally weird and sometimes like not super literal and kind of abstract and poetic um and we sort of see the cast assemble and start to join in with him even though the song is the opening number it's clearly super nostalgic and also very New York but unlike most New York musicals this one takes place in Brooklyn where we are recording this episode go Brooklyn go Brooklyn (laughs) no sleep till February House. <laughs> um, it's called February House, by the way, because a bunch of people who live there have birthdays in February. It's not important, but historically, that's why they called it that. So we go into the song George Comes Through, which is where the plot picks up, and we meet our next two characters. So George has invited W.H. Auden. Wiston is what the W is short for. Wiston, what's the H stand for? Who cares? W- <laughs> W-Y-S-T-A-N. Um, and Carson McCullers, she was a very great novelist of the era. At this point, she had written a successful novel, was trying to work on another one, and was trying to look for an excuse to leave her awful husband, uh, Reeves, Were who was also a writer. Were they in America already, or did they leave Britain during the war? Carson is American. She's from Georgia. Oh. Carson as- sounds like an English name. No, well, she's Carson McCullers because she's like Old Southern. Uh, Auden was already in the States, but he was looking for a new place to live. His current apartment isn't really working out. He's, how exactly W.H. Auden identified is complicated. W.H. Auden really liked having sex with men. 
Um, and he's been seeing this one guy in particular who is following him around and they want a place uh, to be. And so George comes through is this, oh my God, there's like fiddles in this. It's like in this musical. So good. So in the song, George comes through, uh, Carson and Whiston, as in W.H. Auden, get together to talk about, hey, we're both friends of George Davis, and he told us to show up over here. And then George Davis pops in and goes, it is I. Who, oh, no, wait, that's what's in the room George Davis's background? Um, he's from Michigan originally. He is a literary editor there. I don't remember which. He worked for a very popular magazine. But So essentially, George's theory is he's like, ooh, I will flip this apartment. I will fill it with gorgeous furniture and then I will assemble my friends who are down on their luck and have nowhere to go but live in this crappy boarding house and they will be furniture for me too. Like legitimately he keeps like talking about furniture like they're people and vice versa. He has great affection for both. There's just sort of this like- At least like, he likes the furniture. Well actually in the next scene he like starts humping a table. Um, but George comes through. I, I don't like literally every song in this show but assume that I love it. George Come Through is a really fun song um, because we establish who Whiston and Carson are as characters. Um, Whiston is immediately like, oh my God, I just want somewhere to sit and quiet and write and live with my boyfriend. And Carson's like, let's have a party every single night. Sounds like a great match. Right. Well, also George over the phone uh, told told Whiston like, oh, come here and it'll be really chill. And he told Carson like, we're going to have such ragers. And like, because he knew it would get both of them there. I do appreciate just a little lyrical thing is Carson sings each night we're going to throw a party for a writer. We'll pull out all the stops to celebrate and delight her. And I just like that the implied writer is automatically female and then it just works really well with the rhyme and i'm like yeah if you took a shot every time someone says or sings brooklyn in this show you would not get through the third song um so in the next song is a room comes together where george pops up and goes it is i you are wondering why i have gathered you all here it's so you all can live Who here else is gathered there uh, George Carson, Whiston, and Whiston's boyfriend. Whiston's boyfriend is Chester Coleman. He's uh, 18 or 19 years old. He's a Jewish kid from Brooklyn who's currently attending college, an aspiring writer in and of himself. And he has fallen in love with Whiston, who is much older than him. Did Auden go by Whiston? Uh, in the musical, he does. Um, Chester Coleman ends up being a prominent poet and academic in his own right. Um, so Room Comes Together uh, is uh, George immediately gets Carson on board and says, let's pressure Whiston into living with us because George says constantly all the time, he says, I want to establish a family here. He calls it an empire of artists, a writer's menagerie. Because once again, he kind of sees people as proud. He cares very deeply. Um, so George is like, I'll be the mommy of the house. W.H. Auden, will you be our daddy? It's very like, Wendy, darling, won't you be our daddy? Um, so here's the thing about W.H. Auden. He makes really poor life decisions all the time. And everyone is always asking him for advice. Sounds like a great combination. Like his life is falling apart and then someone will be like, oh, Whiston says we have to do this. But they managed to talk Whiston up and he says, you know what, carpe diem, I'm going to move in. Uh, Chester, will you marry me? And at the end of the number, George uh, marries them by authority vested in him by the ghost of Oscar Wilde. Um, so, the, so the two of them immediately just are like, okay, we're married now. Because like, it's 1940. If you want to be gay married, that's 
what you got to do. So Carson, I have Carson is essentially like a college freshman. She's way too enthusiastic. She drinks way too much. Later in the show, she's going to get into some lesbian experimentation. So all of them are living together. So the important thing about the show in the historical context is, hey, Michael, you could help me here. What was happening in 1940? World War II. So it was the middle of the Battle of Britain where Nazi Germany was bombing Britain. Oh, hey, you know who's from Britain? Auden. Auden. The only lyrics not written by Gabriel Kahane, he puts W.H. Auden poetry to music. And essentially, like, it is what it is. Like, it's it's fine, and at times it's very beautiful. It's sort of like he has commented, he's at a distance and being like, I'm trying to do justice to Auden, and he does. And so a recurring theme throughout the show is there are various British characters in this show, and they're all trying to deal with the incoming war in different ways. And Auden, who is very scared of the rise of fascism, I mean, he had spent time in Germany only a few years prior, He's very concerned, but he's also trying not to get involved politically. But but well, the next song that we get is uh, we get a few numbers of Auden writing poetry and it being sung by the ensemble. So this one is Refugee Blues, which is a beautiful song about what it's like to be a European, perhaps Jewish uh, refugee. And of course, Chester Coleman is a Jewish character and this comes up a few times. And this will also have to do with uh, Chester's frustration that his husband is not being more in was Coleman's family still in, or did he have family still in Europe um the show doesn't directly address it though at one point in the show he he's talking to someone who just came from Europe and he goes you know what's going on in there my family's really worried so whether or not he literally has family there or if it's his family worrying for the Jewish population at large I don't think it's made explicit but Refugee Blues, I mean, it's just a beautiful poem. I mean, it starts, say the city has 10 million souls. Some are living in mansions. Some are living in holes. Yet there's no place for us, my dear. Yet there's no place for us. And Auden is starting to wrestle with the politics. And this is the first time that the politics and the geopolitics start working their way in because the more characters assemble, the more it's going to be a thing. Um, the next song in this musical is called Coney Island. You have heard me sing this song. Have I? I used to live pretty close to Coney Island. So this song is beautiful and heartbreaking and would work in any context. If someone just recorded this for an album, and the song is where Carson McCullers sings about how she's uh, been down to Coney Island and seen the freaks there and feels like she fits in with them because she feels like a freak, which seems a little bit obvious and on the nose, but it's just so beautifully done. Like, um... The, at the end of the boardwalk, there's an open door, and it's headed out to heaven and a bright blue shore. I take a breath, I'm scared to death, and I look up, and there's a secret po Anyway, I don't need to... Just the melody is so beautiful. So, meanwhile, the house is not full yet. So, next up, we have Benjamin Britten and Peter Piers. You're way more likely to have heard of Benjamin Britten. I've uh, heard of him. I don't know anything about him but i've heard the name really 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 famous composer of the era including opera his probably most favorite work i think he wrote peter grimes okay it's a it's a famous opera anyway benjamin Britten is a really really famous composer and peter pierce was a singer was a vocalist and the two of them were life partners and they're both english so this song is called Shall We Live Here? So Peter and Ben show up to the apartment and 
This song is amazing. I assume invited by George or someone. George invites them. So I like to describe them as like Bert and Ernie, only one gayer. And two, they're both kind of like neurotic and straightly. So they're like Bert and Bert-er. Sounds like a great match. So uh, Peter and Benji, the thing about them is they're partners and they are from a culture that's very... Well, it's obviously very unforgiving of homosexuality, but they've chosen very much to hide it. And they're saying if we live in this apartment, everyone is just walking around being super gay. And Is if that we, a good thing for them? Well, that's what they're debating about because the hook of the song is they sing really fast for we've been living on Long Island undercover and pretending that we're brothers and not lovers so we know it would be nice to let everything go a little bit. Let everybody know the truth of it. There's a lot of really good, um, I don't know enough about music theory to describe it, but there's also just a lot of good like layering of different people singing different stuff throughout the show. And this continues here because they sing that over and over again while George is trying to sing to convince them to be bold and go through with it. And ultimately, they convince them to move in because they've acquired a beautiful Steinway grand piano, which is sort of what, what pushes them over. But the song ends with a nice little reprise of When a House Comes Together. And there, there's more stuff about furniture because like a house comes together and the cast is right. The family at the table is such a pretty sight because once again, there's this juxtaposition of people and furniture and the different ways that you fill a home. But there's even more people who would need to move into the place. Uh, next, we have Erica Mann. She is from the M-A-N-N Mann family. Like Thomas Mann? Yes, I believe she is Thomas Mann's daughter. He was not a fan of the Nazis and vice versa. You are correct. So in addition to being um, essentially of secular Jewish stock, they're also super lefty. My shtick about her is that um, she's an artist, though it's not clear what her art is, and she hates fascism more than Woody Guthrie's guitar. Sounds like a lot of people I know in Brooklyn today. That's true. Well, she, so <laughs> she's, she's a refugee from Germany. She also is W.H. Auden's wife. Really? Back in Europe, they rocked the thing where she was like, I'm hella gay, you're hella gay, let's just marry each other and then we can like have a spouse and like we can be friends and then we can go off and have romantic or sexual relationships. And they're both like, great, and break. Erica, How long have they been married at this point? And at this point, they have been married for about five years. Auden and Mon, I don't think they've seen much of each other. And Chester is immediately jealous. He's like, um, who's she? And he's like, this is my wife. Don't worry about it. <laughs> wife, meet my husband. It's all very, it's all very Brooklyn. He's like, Erica, this one is different than the others. She's like, he seems just like all of the other young guys you've ever had affairs with. Um, so she wasn't a fan of him? I like Chester Fine as a character. A lot of the reviews for the show was like, what a little brat. Chester is a child. I mean, there's a lot of adults in this show who refuse to act like grownups. Chester is legitimately not a grownup. So... So Erica says, all right, I'm going to bunker down in February house and I'm going to do a lot of political work from here. I mean, and that's sort of her ongoing tension with Auden, even though the two are, are friends and legally something more, is that she says you should be using your talents to fight fascism. And he's like, please leave me alone. You're really intense. She's really intense. There's a scene in the show where she does a, like a performance art piece and it has something to do with like a caterpillar and it's like a stereotype of what you're thinking of for performance dance. And she starts becoming friends 
with uh, Carson McCullers and she's like, hey, you should work on my anti-fascist magazine with me. It's essentially a zine. God bless them. There's so <laughs> many things about like this musical could just be like the 1980s. But we have the song Wanderlust, which is a very pretty song that are Erica and Carson starting to bond. And at the same time, it's about the relationship between Auden and Chester. So Erica and Carson are talking about like, let's tour around America and spread our message. And meanwhile, Auden is doing the opposite and saying, Chester, we never have to leave this apartment. He says, uh, what the borough can't provide, we'll order out and bring inside. And um, the world outside has gone insane, but here is love, I know its name, it's you, dear Chester. So Auden's saying, we just got to bunker down and be super happy and married. Keep in mind, Chester is a teenager and Brooklyn is, no, they're living in Brooklyn because it's affordable, haha, ha, especially, good God, the neighborhood they're in. Yeah, the Brooklyn Heights is not affordable today. And Chester says, wait a second, maybe something's wrong here. And it's like, it's so clear to the audience that they're so doomed as a couple, but like, God bless him, like, Auden's really hanging in there. He sounds kind of crazy. It gets worse. <laughs> so it's winter. And we have, so this song feels really sort of Sondheim-y to me in the sense that it feels like um, if anyone knows A Weekend in the Country from Little Night Music. You don't, but you've no. heard me sing it at you. Sure. So this song is everyone singing and it's sort of different parts overlapping over each other. And there's also different movements to the song. There's several distinct melodies and that are going on and the plot really moves along. But it's also giving us great insight to the way the house functions. So... This is a real thing. When uh -huh. living in this house together, W.H. Auden and Benjamin Britten, two very talented people, said, you know what we like? America. You know what? Let's write an opera about Paul Bunyan. Yeah. Like the lumberjack dude? Yes. More on that as it develops. Everyone else is trying to write. Erica's doing whatever it is she does. And they're all really mad because the house is cold and they're all miserable. And they get together and they realize that George just never paid rent. Highlights of the song include Peter and Benji going, Move to Brooklyn, roll the dice and paid the price. Was Long Island actually a paradise? No. Also, Carson's like, I can't concentrate on writing the great American novel when the British guys are making all their noise. Also, everyone's like, where Wasn't is she the liquor? Wasn't she the one who wanted to have the big parties? Touche. And so then there's a the part where just oh, the way that the um, score works with the lyrics here is they're reading what they spent in November. And the, it literally the, the list is laundry, gin and whiskey, and then a Swedish credenza which is more furniture, and then Chinese rug, which was $45. Yeah, and there are phone bills and iron pills, groceries, the plumber, where low on gin freezer's been broken since summer, but I've paid and I've paid and we've paid and they've paid, but George has spent all of the money that we've saved. And then George shows up, what I'm sorry, douche. he goes, hot cocoa anyone? I made it by boiling old Hershey bars, but the secret ingredient is why is everybody looking at me like that? And then they all start singing their complaints to him at the same time and it overlaps over each other and it's so good. But he's like a mama type and he's really good at like, he's affable and he calms everyone down. And I really like this part. 
Remember back in Lab OM? Those four fabulous French young men found themselves in a tricky spot. Did they give up? No, they did not. Rodolfo, he burned his plays. And the paper burned for eight whole days. Yeah, I don't know that Lab OM is the best example. Also true, but first, but then Chester points out, are you confusing the stories of Hanukkah and Lab OM? <laughs> Um, and he convinces them to throw a rent party is the solution. Um, he invokes uh, the Harlem Renaissance when that was a thing. And he manages This is to... still the tail end of it. Yeah. Yes. He, he talks about the, the early 20s. Um, and he manages to get everyone out of their funk and throw them into the energy of throwing this party. So as they prepare for the party, um, we get the next snippet of Refugee Blues put to music. And it still is really, really beautiful. It's very, like, it's not very melodic. It's very atonal, but it still really, really sticks with you. At some point in the musical, Erica Mann finds the poetry that Auden's been writing, and she's like, this is great. This is political. You should publish this. And he's like, leave me alone. So more tension there. So the party begins, and George says, hey, guys, I want you all to meet my childhood friend, Gypsy Rosalie. And everyone's like, Gypsy Rosalie, the most famous striptease artist in the world. And he's like, yeah, she's here. She's at the party. And she goes, hey, guys, I want to write a novel. I'm going to move in with you guys. And I'm going to write the novel. And George is going to help me. And if the book I gets, I think it was gets to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, I'll give all the proceeds to the house. What if the book doesn't do so well? Oh, well. And she sings a song. And the song is called A Little Brain. And it's a like a sexy striptease song full of puns about how much she loves nerds. Like, if you want to get my hair in a tussle, talk to me about Bertrand Russell. Share your point of view on marriage and morals. I adore that book. Is your dissertation thick? Does its substance really stick? I measure my men by their pencils and not by their muscles. And she's actually doing a striptease on stage. It's very impressive. So the party's going pretty well. Sounds like they're having a good time. Well, Carson uh, and Erica hook up, which was inevitable. Um, but uh, Wiston is so smothering to Chester that Chester, like, runs out. So everyone is just having a lot of feelings. There's a lot of people in this musical, and they all have a lot of feelings. So Act 1 ends with George singing Goodnight to the Boarding House, which is another just very beautiful song where he sings about the relationship he has with the house and the people in it. And even though it's specific to him, the lyrics also work independent of the show. Like, um, the house can, a house can be your lover once you've drunk up all the gin and I can be a mother when I tuck my children in. It seems funny, but in context, it's really beautiful. Like, um, the paintings have been purchased and the chairs have been arranged. The shadows in the pantry are a comfort kind of strange. Sing goodnight. Sing goodnight to the boarding house. So the opening of Act 2 is when this show goes from good to great. This next song at the top of Act 2 begins with Peter Pierce just singing, There are bugs. I can't hit the notes because he sings like he's like a tenor. There are bugs in my bed. Everybody wake up and get dressed and attend the tale of the bugs in my bed. And the song is called Bed Bugs, and it's an entire song about how Peter Pierce and Benjamin Britten have found bed bugs in their bed. And it's this, like, beautiful operatic thing. And also in the middle of the song, they stop singing about bed bugs just to sing about how much they love British sandwiches. It's British sandwiches? It's remarkable. It's, this would never have happened in London. 
How I long yeah, but for they a would sandwich have been being at bombed lunchtime. By the Nazis. And then one of them goes, sandwich. <laughs> I can't hit them. How I long for the land which was once mine. Sandwich. So Peter and Benji have both become friends with Chester because he's mm-hmm. like their little baby gay friend and they're like grown up sort of. Chester actually has a song that was not on the cast recording where he is trying to sing to Peter and Benji about how to be cool and like dress for a party. And it's a perfectly cute number. So then we have a song I'm actually not nuts about, even though I feel like it's really pushed on me. Any song that has a reprise, I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to recognize this as being great, but I'm not particularly interested. The song is called Awkward Angel, where Wiston is singing about how much he loves Chester, even though Chester is a jerk, maybe because Chester is a jerk. And I think the language... Chester seems perfectly normal to me from this. I mean, Chester fetches a lot. Chester's like, I don't want to live in Brooklyn, or like, everyone cool is in Manhattan. And he's still sowing his wild oats, and his husband is a grown-up who also has to deal with the fact that his country is at war. So I calling him an awkward angel is a weird descriptor. I wouldn't know if I'd describe him that way. But it's like anytime Chester is rude to him or fights with him, Winston is just like, well, you know what? I just like how petulant he is. And that's what the song is trying to communicate. And it's fine. So spoiler alert, they're essentially on again, off again for a while. And eventually when like Chester got older, they settled into just being friends. But they had some sort of relationship their entire lives. Mm. Erica's working on Decision Magazine, which is her anti-fascist magazine. And... uh hooking up with Carson. And meanwhile, the house is preparing for New Year's and they're also, you know, this is New Year's Eve from 1940 to 41, so they're also really concerned with the Blitz. So as the Blitz is going on, we get the next W.H. Auden poem set to music, which it is time for the destruction of error, which is beautiful. And guess who shows up for dinner? Who? Reeves McCullers. Carson's husband? Yeah. Which, first of all, he's supposed to be like the homophobic one as the jerk because he's like, Carson, you don't belong here with all these high-minded queers is, I believe, what he says. Mm-hmm. He was queer, too, at least in real life. Was he also an asshole in real life? They all were. But um, Reeves also figures out that Carson is having an affair with Erica, which makes him uncomfortable. Well, because st- he still wants her back. So the song, the song is You Sit in Your Chair, and I can't decide if I like it or not. Because it's very atonal and, like, angry. What's another complaint that people make about the characters in Rent? Besides that they're annoying? More specifically. Um, that they don't do anything. They just sit there and complain. Bingo! Reeves things like, um, you sit in your chair spinning your beautiful ideas, paintings and poems that make suffering into abstraction, paintings and poems that are no more than distraction. Well, I would be fighting if someone gave me a chance instead of delighting in some superior dance. Yeah, the melody's super weird, but he makes some good points, and, um, Erica joins in and says, you know, don't congratulate yourselves for having to have retreated from doing something and you should still be doing something even if it's not literally fighting. To be fair, at the time, the U.S. wasn't in World War II. No, but certainly there were leftists who were trying to encourage it joining in with World War II or at least doing political activism. There were lots of things that people were... Not so much leftists. Well, not the far left at this point because it was still before Germany and Hitler invaded Soviet Russia. They didn't really care when he invaded Poland. They didn't start caring till he invaded the Soviet Union. No, so 
like communists and a lot of socialists too were all against Hitler until he signed a treaty with the Soviet Union before invading Poland. And then from 1939 till 1941, when Hitler invaded the Soviet Union, they were kind of okay with Hitler. And essentially, um, Erica is sort of so fed up and mobilized that she moves out of the house. So this is the first domino falling. So remember, Act 1... And it just goes down from there. Well, Act 1 was everyone moving in and then some, and now Act 2 is going to be as, as things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Carson and Whiston and George sing Ride Out the Light, which is beautiful. The hook is, where are we now? Where are we now? Ride out, ride out the light of the year. And meanwhile, um, George is trying to hold on to this fact that he's that he's built this home for himself in the song. And Has he still not paid the rent? They paid the rent. The rent party worked. Gypsy Rosalie helped. Gypsy Rosalie isn't really getting along with the other people in the apartment. Because here's the thing. All of the other writers love sitting there and being like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And Gypsy Rosalie is like, my entire life I have worked my butt off. And she just like sits there and churns out the novel. But she's also a little bit of a diva. So every time someone's like, can we like change something in the apartment that you don't like? She'll be like, no. And they'll be like, you're so annoying. She's like, yeah, well, at least I'm working. It's easy to blame the book of a musical for a musical's problems. It's very, it's very ambitious because it's trying to cover all of this ground and it can't really, but it does keep things moving in a very coherent way. And it really hits it with tone was it do- when it doesn't get in the details. So then what happens is um, Carson gets really sick and George nurses her back to health. Like she, I think, briefly loses her sight from what the fever. Just a big fever thing. And oh. George nurses her back to health. Where is Reeves in all of this? No, Reeves wasn't there to stay. He was just there for dinner. Reeves shows up with a suitcase and Carson says, George, I'm going back with Reeves. And George is really crushed. And she sings a song, Georgia. And the amazing thing of Georgia is, and I could be wrong about this because I don't know much about music, um, the chords of Georgia, even though the melody's different, it's the same chords as Coney Island. So the same sort of do 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 starts in the background and she sings over it. Um and she sings she's going back to Georgia. She sings a song explaining that she has to go back to Georgia. First of all, her mother's there, so she sings like Reeves Take Me Back to My Mother. Like she explains why she has to go and the song sells it in a way that wouldn't necessarily make sense. Because it's like she's doing fine and then she's sick and then she's gone. So she says things like New York's a place I've loved for some time now, all the noise and all the lights. And she says to George, your kindness is unspeakable as secrets in the dark. And she goes, there's other part of me that's just been whispered awake. Strange bird on the lake after a long wet winter will get dry in the sun. Part of me that longs to feel so quiet inside after the riot inside needs the stillness that comes from something familiar. And the song ends with, um... I love this house, and I love you, George, but I need my home. I need the comfort of what I know. I don't sell it as well as uh, Christian C. does on the cast recording. So, hey, remember the Paul Bunyan opera? Uh Uh-huh. Have we gotten to that yet? The Paul Bunyan opera premieres. Let Let me read to you from real life, not from the show, what critics said about the Paul Bunyan musical opera thing. 
as dramatic literature, no shape, and very little substance. Also, it seems a rather poor sort of bid for success. So the opera was a terrible, terrible flop. It remains so to this day. It's sort of people find it interesting of like, let's revisit it. Was it actually avant-garde? Eh. But Whiston and Benji are fighting. And mm-hmm. Benji, who's really good friends with Chester, is so mad that he's like, you know what? Chester's planning on leaving you anyway. W.H. Auden is so mad at Chester, he tries to strangle him in his sleep. Chester wakes up and runs off visibly distressed. And I have to admit, even though I like Chester, there's a little bit of a part of me that's just like, that'll show him. (laughs) Um, So Whiston is super sad. So he sings uh, Funeral Blues, which is an Auden poem, though the the way the liner notes for the cast album put it is text by W.H. Auden, except for second stanza, lovingly desecrated by Gabriel Cahane. So he, he, he rewrites the poem to be more directly about Whiston and Chester and then sets it to music. And it's um, probably my least favorite of the Auden songs in this show, but it's still W.H. Auden, so it's great. Um, at this point, what I will give you is the show is just sort of like, and everyone's leaving, so everyone's leaving, and it doesn't necessarily make it super convincing for all of them. Uh-huh. Uh, but once again, some of the songs are great. So the next song is uh, Benji and Peter show up wearing like Bermuda shorts because the next song is called California because they decide to move out west. Um, and everyone in California wears Bermuda shorts. Well, I think they moved to L.A. and I think they did end up living the rest of their lives in California together. Um, they they, they were... stayed together as a couple. Well, the lyrics are, um, For we're going to California where the sky is never gray. We'll eat yogurt and do yoga and we'll take a swim almost every day. Hey, hey, hey. It doesn't sound like 1940s California quite so much. Yoga like yoga was a thing. U.S. by that point, but I don't think it was... Right, like it, like it was, but it, it works in the song. It's very cute. Also, once again, like Peter and Benji have really good, like sometimes one of them will sing melody and the other will like vocalize harmony and they do that in the song and it's because they're actually a really good couple together. This song, they're singing about things they won't and will miss and the sort of hook is, but Georgie will surely miss you, that they'll miss George Davis. And it's because he's just so charismatic and people like him when it's like, you have reasons not to like him. Remember that time he bought a rug instead of paying the rent? Or their bed bugs. Though they do, um, Brooklyn has a certain kind of charm. It has a certain kind of charm. If you've a penchant for the dirty and depraved, don't take our quick departure with alarm. No, please don't take it with alarm. We just need some place that's a bit more well-behaved. So we're going to California. And, like, there was a laugh from the audience where it's, like, California's the well-behaved place. Um, Meanwhile, next person to leave is Whiston, who goes, um, oh, so remember how Chester ran off to go to U Michigan? Um, I think I'm gonna teach at U Michigan. You know, just uh just just because all's well that ends well, but that's how Whiston's gone. Uh Gypsy Rose Lee says, I hung out here as long as I could. I have to go to Chicago to work. Did she finish the book? The G string murders became a big hit. That was what she called it, the G string murders. The G string murders. murders, it's a it's a, a detective novel. And if you do the math, that leaves uh, no one. And uh, someone, someone shows up to the house and says, I would like to move in. And he's like, no, the boarding house is closed. You know, he's sad. His experiment failed, so he feels kind of abandoned. Um, yeah. He ends up historically moving out in 1945. 
So we have two songs left. Both are reprises. One is a reprise of Light Upon the Hill, where he sings again about how he really wanted this home. And it includes, um, they came, it worked, their beautiful dreams were bright colored, brilliant. He's singing about how it worked, but then he goes, and now that they've all left the bay to go back to the world and the streets and the roar, here the ivy is making its way across the chairs and the walls and the boards of the floor. The mantle is covered in moss as the foundation breathes a loss. Because part of his paternal or maternal um, approach to his friends was that he identifies really literally with the boarding house itself. And the song sort of finishes up with a letter from Carson to George saying, you know, I really miss you and I miss the house and I love you and, you know, here's to a better 1942. And also Carson, who has been trying to work on her novel this entire time. She's finished her novel and themes in the novel have obviously been influenced by living in the house. The show ends with a reprise of just George and Carson singing Goodnight to the Boarding House. The house was once my lover in a season that I dreamed an ordinary summer with a gentle river breeze. It's so pretty. It's so pretty, Michael. Sounds pretty. So this never played anywhere more prominent than the public theater. And the public theater is very prominent, but it was a limited run and it went more unnoticed than it should have. So there's really um, no awards, unless I'm missing any, to speak of for this show. I mean, it genuinely sounds beautiful. Yeah. I will make you listen to a couple songs. Here, quick, pick your favorite lyric and least favorite lyric. I told you you didn't have to pair it. Pick them at random. Um, what's your favorite and least favorite lyric? Well, funny you should ask. I think my least favorite lyric is in You Sit in Your Chair. The words sound kind of weird. They don't sound good in your mouth when you say them. Um, Eric Amon is describing what it's like over in Europe. And she goes, uh, while cities are strangled, wise men drug through the street, heads at odd angles, shamed and chanting their creed. And when she's singing it, like you can't make out what she's saying. Um, my favorite lyric, even though there's so many beautiful lyrics, I just went with a tightly written, excellent, wordy, fun lyric. And it's from George Comes Through. And it's, George spoke of rooms so roomy, moldings made of gold, and yet these rooms are gloomy, moldings made of mold. I feel like that could describe a lot of New York apartments. So that's my fave. Um, guys, I just, just, I wanted to do this episode because I really want everyone to like this musical. Please like this musical, guys. Okay. Please listen to it. You have a lot of feelings about this. I have a lot of feelings about this musical, and I hope I did it justice. Basically, guys, is it perfect as a show? No. But it's so small and beautiful and loving and makes you feel things that it deserves way better. Michael, do you want people to follow you on social media? Probably not, right? I mean, you can. My Twitter is at MSRPOTUS. Don't expect to hear anything about musicals. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for listening to Pick a Little, Talk a Little. We're online at paltalpodcast.weebly.com. We're on Facebook at Pick a Little, Talk a Little and Twitter at Paltal Podcast. As always, we are edited and produced by the incomparable Rachel Jacobs. She's at Twitter as WTFRJK. 
I am your host, Gabriella Gazelowitz. You can find me on Twitter, Gabby Gazelowitz, G-A-B-Y-G-E-S-E-L-O-W-I-T-Z. Easy. Please rate us and review us. It really would mean a lot. Email us, paltelpodcast at gmail.com if you want to say hi. All right, thanks. And until next time. As they say in Wicked, kiss me goodbye. I'm defying gravity. I swear to you, Peter. Yes, Benjamin. If we make it through this ordeal, go on. I shall take you to London and we will never leave. Oh, how Alfred romantic! Oh, damn these insufferable levels! This whole cast recording, guys, it's on Spotify. If you do nothing else, just give it one listen on Spotify. The music's so good. So good. Give it a chance, guys.